Hello, and welcome to What Is My Podcast About? I am your host, Peter graves Akeley. I am joined, as always, by Keith Ramsey. Hey! And unfortunately, Matthew Grace is still a bit busy with the rest of his life, so for today we have an extra special guest to uh, fill his seat, and that is Thomas Sheehan. Uh, you guys told me this was just like a five-minute conversation. What's all this? Hey, don't worry yeah, about it. Th- this is going to be like a five-minute conversation that feels like a lot longer, but trust yeah, me, it'll I, only actually be five minutes. I know it sounded like Peter was talking to an audience of some sort, but don't worry about this. Uh, we just have these conversations normally, so it's like oh, we're yeah, not using okay. your voice like or anything. Yeah, no, oh, okay. we're not. Cool. We're not releasing this to an audience. It's just I have some major delusions and can't participate in a normal conversation unless I convince myself I'm talking to an audience. Exactly, yeah, that's all that's going I, on there. I think I remember driving you home a few times, and you just started talking to people on the sidewalk. So, yeah. Yep. Yeah, All I right. think it actually went pretty well that time. Usually they attack me. I don't know why. Uh, what's going on in the world, Keith? I need uh, you to keep me up to date on things. <laughs> uh, so, this is a bit of a weird one, and uh, you were there for when I found out about this, but there's a movie coming out called The Lost City with Daniel Radcliffe. Yeah, that one. Uh, I found out, well, similar, I was there when you found out about it, and I found out about it through the same way, but I have seen no marketing for this outside of on ads before YouTube videos. That's the only place I've seen any marketing for this fucking movie. Um, do you want to describe what Lost Cities is? Uh, so, from the trailer and what I found about it, it looks like, essentially, uh, Sandra Bullock is, like, a romance novelist, and... There's an actor that plays the character from her book, which is played by Channing Tatum, and she writes this one called The Lost City, and Daniel Radcliffe is apparently the million-dollar like bad guy of the movie who believes the book actually tells how to get to the real Lost City and kidnaps them. And for some reason, Brad Pitt is going to be playing a character in here as well. Yeah, it's got some real Murder, She Wrote vibes in that it involves an author who's writing what she ostensibly believes to be fiction, but from the looks of it, might actually end up just coincidentally being true, and so she has to solve the mystery herself because she somehow tapped into it while writing fiction. Um, Murder, She Wrote. That was a weird, deep cut for people who aren't familiar. But uh... Uh, There was a Paul Blart movie. I think it was... Uh, sorry, not Paul Blart, but the actor. Um, uh, he did one like Diaries of an International Hitman, which like people uh, read the yeah, book Kevin... and then yeah, thank you, uh, Kevin. Um, James. Kevin you know, James. James, yeah. So people read the book and then think that he's uh, actually like this hitman and whatnot, uh, but he's just, you know, some goofball. Um, yes. Uh, apparently Murder, She Wrote is now a genre of movie that's just happening sometimes. Uh, so to clarify for people who aren't familiar with my deep cut of Murder, She Wrote, it's about a woman who lives in a small town in Canada who uh, writes about murder fiction, and every time she writes a book, it ends up becoming an actual murder that she has to help the police solve, because she wrote about it. I think you mean she commits murders and then gets away with it every time. Uh, I might have missed the last episode when that reveal happened, so sure, yeah, that's probably what happened. I might have missed every single episode uh, of that series, to be honest. I can't think of the movie at all. if anyone can think of it, then please shout out. Uh, many years ago, there was a movie about this, like basically Sandra Bullock as character in this new movie, who writes about how she's this amazing adventurer that goes around the world and like uh, helps out people in like foreign countries while like finding hidden treasure. And this little girl who's like 
on vacation or whatever with her parents. Um, <laughs> it gets like marooned somewhere and like contacts her. Like doesn't call the police. Like fucking like emails her, and it's like, oh, you have to come help me or whatever. And then like communications get cut off. Uh, so she gets roped into like help trying to like help find this girl in like you know somewhere Africa. Uh, only thing is she's a total recluse. She wrote all this as fantasy because she like hates leaving the house. So you know her, it becomes like a comedy of like her bumbling around uh, the jungle when she has like no clue how to interact with people or like go outside. But anyway, I got real vibes about that. Seeing the trailer, I just can't remember what the name of the movie is. You see, I think you would think that she would thrive in a jungle environment because surprisingly, not many people in a jungle. The thing I'm starting to realize is maybe it's not a new genre, and maybe it's just writers really like writing stories about how writers are secretly actually really great at solving all the world's problems. That might just be what's happening. <laughs> yeah. You know, the more we talk about it, the more I'm thinking that there's more and more of these stories, because isn't that um, Secret Life of Walter Mitty? Wait, am I thinking of the right one? What's the uh, one? Uh, what's the one where she's writing about... Um, uh, Will Ferrell and Will Ferrell like hears it and and she's like uh, Stranger Than Fiction yeah yeah Stranger Than Fiction yes uh <laughs> Secret Life of Walter Mitty is just about a normal guy who starts traveling the world to try and find out what happened to his friend I guess I don't know it's a super weird movie and Buddy like took pictures he's trying to find his photographer friend because he works for a magazine and Buddy took a very special picture yeah, so, let's be serious that... everyone who writes has a god complex is just coming out yes yeah. fuck God damn! It's a whole it, thing. If they like it expressed within the first few pages as to how awesome and unique their character is, then you know generally they're they're describing the ultimate like reflection of themselves. Yeah, and this guy doesn't even like the taste of beer because he gets sick after he has more than one. So that makes him the ultimate badass. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that's pretty much how it always goes. <laughs> Uh, there is a great college humor uh, video, uh, like many years ago, about like Dragon Ball Z fan fiction, and, and like, oh no, like we, like all the Z fighters are powerless against Frieza, and then oh no, like Brian Whittle's here. Oh Brian, how did you show up? How did you get so strong? I actually fused with uh, Kami or Flo or whoever, and Goku. It's like, what? How's that possible? Yeah, it turns out Brian's actually half Namekian, and that's why human acne creams have no effect on him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is just kind of how a lot of fanfiction goes. Well, I don't I don't want to shit on fanfiction writers. Maybe that's not how modern fanfiction goes, but that's definitely how a lot of early fanfiction went, was it was just people writing themselves into the story and they're secretly the most powerful and all of their flaws as an actual human being were justified by them being the most powerful character. It's like whenever you say fan fiction, there's that immediate gut hesitation or gut reaction of, oh, it must be terrible because everybody remembers the really, really terrible examples of fan fiction. But there are some good ones, some really great ones too. Yep. Um, that is certainly true. I can't think of a single example, but I'm sure there are. Um, so for Red versus Blue fans, uh, they 
they they tagged on to a really popular uh, fan fiction story. And Red vs. Blue is pretty much Halo fan fiction anyway. Yep. But they they grabbed hold of a series of stories about this one freelancer or whatever, uh, which is all like fan fiction. And they really liked it. So if you go on the Red vs. Blue website, you'll see like a clear link. Like, oh, hey, and read all about the adventures of... I forget what it's called, but... That's a good one, sponsored by, um, sponsored by uh, the creators. Uh, Warframe has some characters that were initially written in fan fiction that made its way into the game. Oh god, it's like Matt never left! <laughs> Alright, last time I'll mention it, I swear. Uh, but also, uh, SCP is just the treasure trove of great writing. That's fair. All right, uh, to get us off the topic of this one movie trailer, uh, The Witcher Season 2 uh, dropped earlier this week. Um, no, that's why I saw the videos on YouTube about explaining the ending already. Yep, yeah, uh, probably tell them the day it dropped, because people are the fucking worst. Um, I don't know, uh, I have watched it, I'm not going to talk about it right now, because it's all spoilers, anything I could say, but I will say that it was very good. Um, and I'm looking forward to The Witcher Season 3. Also just makes me want to go back to playing The Witcher games. That is something that is very successful at doing to me. Yeah, they really captured like just the, the feel of the world and uh, the characters. So, I mean, there, yeah, there's a, a, always a story coming out about Henry Cavill apparently just like correcting the writers and other people. I'm like, yes. no, it's like this. Uh, apparently that was a big problem in the first season and they didn't listen to him and then they got a lot of backlash from the fans because a lot of people made complaints about the first season and so apparently when they were making the second season they're like alright Henry so what's your input on this scene that we're shooting here uh, like it still wasn't just his vision of the series but apparently he had a lot more input on the second season from what I was reading uh, which is super exciting uh, also it just to get out, a lot of people are upset that some of the characters don't visually look like they do in the video games. But as we kind of discussed in previous topics, that's not such a big deal to me. Uh, so long as the character like fits the spirit and the personality of the character from the original story, I don't really care all that much if they physically look different from how they do in the fucking video games, or they don't quite fit the physical description given of the character. The Visuals of a character are honestly the least important part of the story. It's still important, but it's not nearly uh, at the top of importance for me. And, and I do agree, and I know you guys have had this conversation already on a previous episode. I will say I did find it jarring how like 98% of the characters are like a spitting image of how they are in the games. And then there's that, you know, like the the one or two characters that are radically different. They're like, well, I mean, if everybody else is the same, why didn't they like try? Why did they go for like the exact opposite? You know? Yeah. I don't know. Anyways, all I'm saying is I enjoyed it, <laughs> and I quickly got over any of those complaints I might have had. Uh, I do need uh, you to confirm one thing for me, though, because I haven't watched it yet. I'm planning to with like the extended holiday break period stuff going on. Uh, sure. Do we get more songs from Dandelion? We absolutely get more songs from Dandelion. It's great. Are uh, they bangers just like the first ones? Uh, so we mostly get one song. Like There are a couple 
like short bits of songs. Uh, the one song we get in like its full length is a fucking bop. Uh, and one song he sings while in prison is also kind of a fucking bop. So great. yeah, it's great. Uh, the other thing I will make reference to it. Well, not make reference to the other thing I will confirm is they make direct reference uh, to the stuffed unicorn that Yennefer owns and how it broke. And that's also a fun experience for everyone involved. <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah. Uh, anything else we want to talk about before we get into the meat and bones? So apparently Matrix dropped today, or at the time of recording this podcast. Yeah, Matrix yes. came out and Hawkeye had its final. Yeah, the finale of Hawkeye was today as well. All right. Well, we'll obviously, I haven't seen another time. Yeah, obviously, haven't seen the Matrix yet, but I did manage to squeeze in a quick watch of the finale of Hawkeye before recording this. Uh. So yeah, we'll also talk about that at a later date. <laughs> Mostly because I'm assuming you guys haven't had a chance to see the episode of Hawkeye that dropped today. I have not. I uh, I made someone promise that we would watch it together, and now I'm regretting that. As, <laughs> <laughs> as I want to just watch it. So, of course. Uh, yeah. Alrighty then. Uh, so for those of you who do not look ahead or read the titles of our podcast, because I know there's at least one of you out there who does that, uh, the title, or well, I don't care about the title, uh, the topic <laughs> for today's episode is Spider-Man No Way Home, the newest Spider-Man movie. Oh my, oh my. Definitely a lot to unpack. I know this is going to be a long discussion on this. Uh, I went on to a rant, actually, uh, with uh, my girlfriend when we were leaving the movie. And uh, she refused to listen to me because apparently I was talking nonsense. So we'll see how that goes when I bring it up. I mean, I... there's going to be some nonsense getting thrown around here. Oh, I have also had a discussion uh, about this movie already, and I'm looking to fucking get into the nonsense. Uh, before we get into the nonsense, uh, the one thing I like to do before we talk about it in depth, I just want your gut reaction. Did you enjoy the movie? Yes. Oh. Yes. I'll yes. Go first. Okay, cool. I just wanted us all to be out in oh, front yeah. of it. We may end up saying things that don't make sense. We all just need to be very open about the fact that we all fucking enjoyed this movie. Uh, second thing that we have to do before we talk about anything at length, uh, and we can't do right now because one of the things me and Keith like to do is make Matt give a 30-second rundown of the plot of any movie that we talk about. And Matt's not here, and Thomas, you're in his seat, so I'm going to need you to give us a 30-second rundown of the plot of No Way Home. So, spoiler alert. <laughs> That's All your right. entire 30 seconds. <laughs> the, clock, the clock's already started. <laughs> All right, clock's started. All right, so after the events of The Last Spider-Man, we pick up just a few seconds later. Peter Parker's life is in absolute shambles because his identity is revealed to the world. He's having a hard time uh, getting into college, so... Uh, his friends are also having a hard time because everybody is aware of who they are and who his accomplices are. So he can't get into university. So he calls up Doctor Strange to rewind time. Doctor Strange says no. So he says, well, can you make everyone forget everything? That sounds just as dangerous of a spell. And he's like, yeah, sure. That one I can do. So Strange goes ahead and tries to do a spell they keep screwing things up, so the spell goes haywire. Next thing you know, everybody who, and here's the qualifier, 
everybody who knows Peter Parker is Spider-Man is brought into this world from other multiverses, which means other movie franchises. So the villains, which, you know, of course, all the villains somehow learned that Peter Parker was Spider-Man. All the villains show up one by one in the world, and he has to go basically catch them and stop them from uh, destroying everything so he can send them back. But after they realize that sending them back uh, means that they're all going to die, because that's pretty much how they all went, except for one of them, then he figures, well, I'm going to cure them all of their super villainness, I guess, and then send them back. So to die a lot. Uh, I can't really get into it much more because at that point things just you know go off the rails downwards that's an accurate description of the movie is all that happens and then things go off the rails downwards i I do take one issue with the description you gave though and that's i'm positive electro never found out that peter parker was spider-man everyone else i'm on board with electro absolutely never figured out he was peter parker yeah peter parker Um, was spider-man like, that's what I thought, too, unless it was mentioned in passing from uh, Osborne when they were, like, in the office or something. And I, I didn't care enough to go watch that movie again. Uh, so here's the thing. Uh, the movie itself also acknowledges that Electro doesn't know who Peter Parker is because when he pulls the mask off, he makes the joke about, oh, I thought you were going to be black. Oh, you're right. You're right. <laughs> Which, you know, I'm glad they had that reference. I really wish that they would have had a live-action Miles Morales like make an appearance, but because of what the spell is and referencing Peter Parker, it makes sense. Well, okay, there's no Miles Morales going to show up. We yeah. just get the hints. The also the other thing is this movie was largely a uh, payoff to the first three: uh, Tobey Maguire, Spider-Man, Sam Raimi, Spider-Man's, however you want to refer to them, and then the two. Uh, Andrew Garfield uh, Spider-Mans. It was largely designed to pay off them. They took a villain from each of them. They took the Spider-Man from each of them. So I would have liked to have seen a live-action Miles Morales show up in this movie, but we haven't had a live-action Miles Morales before, and it would have been weird to pay off movies we've already seen and then throw in a character we've never seen before and just have people in the audience potentially get really confused about, wait, what's this guy from? I don't recognize him. Did I miss a Spider-Man movie? Even just a low-key reference, you know, like like it showed multiple Peter Parkers through, like, like had we seen, like, uh, a little glimpse into all these different worlds and multiverses, like, in one of them, it's, uh, it's you know, like a, a black guy swinging. Maybe it'd be like, oh, oh, okay, that was Miles. And he got, like, really close to, like, going through the portal before it closed. Oh, wow, I wonder if Miles made it through the portal. I wonder if he's in our world. Yeah, and I, I guess to go on that, too... This movie was kind of much uh, the sequel for Spider-Man, like uh, the Tobey Maguire. It was the Spider-Man 4 for that one. It was Amazing Spider-Man 3 and the third movie. In the, like, it was kind of the sequel for all of them. Uh, yeah. As for the Miles Morales thing, we already kind of got bases of him being in the MCU anyways because the Prowler in the first uh, Spider-Man yeah, movie got... mentions it. Yeah. Uh, Donald Glover's character in the first Spider-Man Homecoming. Uh made reference to his nephew being a hood on the streets and his re- nephew is miles morales so we know in theory miles morales is in the mc already we just don't have him as a spider-man and for all we know in this version of events he never becomes spider-man uh and sorry to you miles maybe in a different universe you get to be spider-man 
But we do have confirmation that he is out there. Yeah. And I could see him being showing up at some point, especially how this movie ends and Peter being at the college age now. I think it's around that time we can expect to see a Miles Morales of some sort start popping up. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so let's let's get into some nitty gritty stuff, guys. Uh, uh, so we got to take this slow. There's a lot course. to talk about. And I'm realizing now this is no longer a five minute conversation. So, <laughs> so starting off, um, J. Jonah Jameson. Like, I, the one thing I'm kind of disappointed in, so we see that the Spider-Man in different universes look different to the point where Alfred Molina calls out the fact that Peter Parker isn't Peter Parker because he doesn't look like the Peter Parker that I know. The one thing I'm slightly disappointed by is that we never get a reference to Tobey Maguire being like, hey, your J. Jonah Jameson is just my J. Jonah Jameson. What's going on here? Like, <laughs> We make a comment, or we have him make a comment about how he saw on the news both Ned and MJ and saw that they were friends with Peter. We never get a reference to him having seen J. Jonah Jameson and just feeling rage boiling in the pit of his stomach at the sight of that fucking man. You see, here's uh, the thing, though, and this is kind of my issue with how they end up developing J. Jonah Jameson. The one in the Tobey Maguire uh, universe is not a bad guy. He, he's a no, bit of an absolutely. asshole, but like the one from the MCU seems just like a flat-out bad guy. <laughs> Well, I, based on who he's clearly inspired by, yeah. I think they didn't want to give many redeeming qualities. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, they're, they're dancing a fine line with the character they're parodying. So to make him... Uh, to have any point in the movie where they get to be like, see, he was right all along, uh, kind of validates a lot of people out there who don't need validation right now. That's fair. Uh, unfortunate though it may be. Um, but yeah, it, uh, yeah, there was so much in this movie and any more focus on any characters, any more characters would have ruined it. So as much as I would have loved to see more JJ, as much as I would have loved to see Miles Morales, as much as I would have loved to see like the sixth member of the Sinister Six, we only got five. Well, Why are you talking it, about the Sinister Six? We got the Furious Five. That should be no. enough. I mean, I do I want to point out one thing. Stick, I want to point out one I thing understand. on this. I, I don't think this movie was ever intending it to be a Sinister Six movie. It was more of like an homage and a send-off to those characters overall. I think they are planning to do a Sinister Six in-house at some point, but this movie was not it or intended to be it. Yeah, so this one mostly felt like it was trying to right the wrongs of Spider-Man's past because one of the big things about Spider-Man is he really doesn't fucking kill people. Uh, he absolutely has the power to. He has the strength to cave in the skull of everyone he comes in contact with if he so wills it. Uh, and so he's constantly pulling his punches anytime he's fighting a bad guy. And so... I felt like a large portion of this movie and the reason it brought in the villains it did is because they were all villains who kind of died at the hands of Spider-Man with the exception of, you know, the one. Oh, um, actually, uh, Sandman doesn't die. Lizard doesn't die. Well, uh, Lizard dies. Lizard does die. No, Sandman's he saves the... him at the end, doesn't he? No, no, he dies. I'm positive he lives. He's still alive in universe. He, uh, he, he dies. Uh, I know but, Sandman doesn't die. He was the one I was referencing when I said the one who doesn't die. I could have sworn yes. Lizard dies at the Sandman end of the movie. Sandman just leaves. 
I'm also kind of curious as to why he leaves um, when when shit goes south uh, in the <laughs> when Goblin like reveals himself in the apartment in the safe house, and all the villains like scatter. It's like, why oh, you're did... right. Kirk Connors doesn't die. He gets locked up in prison. Yep. Uh, locked up. Yeah, he's he's arrested at the end of the movie. Does he get friggin' impaled? Uh, when Stacy's father dies. Oh, that's who I'm thinking of. You're right. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. I'm sorry. So yeah, the two of them don't die. Um. So that one is slightly weird. Them insisting on saving the lizard rather than just sending him back to get saved in his home timeline. But I think by means... saving, it's more so making them not evil. Yeah, so a large portion of this movie was dedicated to kind of righting those wrongs where Spider-Man has, unfortunately or not, killed a lot of people in the past. And this was trying to undo that and trying to show that Spider-Man, in addition to being the kind of person who could cave someone's skull in if he wanted to, has also, throughout the comic books, also been an incredibly gifted student. And so giving him the opportunity to, instead of using his physical force to kill the people who are bad, instead giving him the ability to fix what has gone wrong with these people's lives, uh, I think was a large goal of what they were aiming for. Yeah, they uh, they did it well. I don't think they really needed to go in and like I mean, looking at it as like fixing the mistakes of the uh, yeah. I others. to clarify, I don't when I say fixing the mistakes, I'm not trying to say that the movies were bad or there was something wrong with the movies. I mean fixing the in-universe mistakes that Spider-Man had made, uh, like the fact that he had inadvertently been involved in the deaths of these villains. Not something that was wrong with the movie when it was made. They were all perfectly justified and made sense in-universe, or in the like logic of the movie. I just mean, they're going back and fixing Spider-Man himself's mistakes, and the fact that he was put into those positions where he ended up being potentially responsible for their those guys' deaths. Yeah, I think so. It was, it's probably better to say that the characters were getting redemption for what their problems were in the movie and not necessarily the fact that it was the movie itself. So it's Dr. That's Octavius getting yes. redemption for uh, what happened to him, essentially. Uh, I, well, the big one is obviously Andrew Garfield getting redemption for Gwen Stacy's death, right? Like it's all the characters yes. have something they're trying to get redemption for plot wise, not by the fact of what the movie they were in was. Yeah, it, it, that's a better way to phrase it. It's all of the different characters getting redemption. Another big one that I didn't notice until I thought back on it a little bit later, we also get a big moment of redemption for Tobey Maguire because we remember if you remember from his fight with a goblin the first time around, he dodges getting stabbed in the back and it, in doing so <laughs> causes a goblin to die. And in this time, he prevents goblin from dying and in doing so gets stabbed in the back. So it's a very nice little twist through in him potentially making a choice that he could have made the first time around. Because I don't think him taking that glider would have killed him the first time around. But Did, not taking it ensured the goblin... Yeah, that blade would have clean through him. <laughs> the size of that thing would have gone through... Well, like, it does go through Goblin and the wall behind Goblin, so... Yeah, but Spider-Man also has some pretty incredible healing powers as well. So I don't... I'm not saying he for sure would have been fine. I'm just saying I don't think it was a guaranteed death if he took that. Uh, yeah, glider. maybe instead of doing this crazy flip, he could have just turned around and grabbed it. Yep. Like he did in this one. Just catch the glider before it impales someone. Uh, but yeah, each of those characters get some form of redemption throughout the movie. Uh, now, this is probably 
this could be one of our first like differing opinions in the movie, but I felt the opening up until he gets the Doctor Strange portion of the movie uh, was probably the weaker part, and it actually was kind of a drag for most of what we went through. You mean up until he gets Doctor Strange to cast the spell for the first time? Yeah, and I do understand that that stuff had to happen to set up the movie, but it felt like they did it in such a slow way that like it felt disconnected. I uh, I don't I wouldn't say I have the strongest feelings about this as you seem to have. Not that you have no. strong feelings, but I would say the pacing could probably be a little bit better in that early part, but I do think it was very important to establish oh, 100%. why Spider-Man was jumping to the point of casting a spell and making everyone forget. They had to show how alienated he was and how much it was impacting not only his life, but the life of everyone around him. And obviously they had some things to distract us from how uh, slow the pacing was, because yes, I do agree. However, in this slow section... We also had our first big reveal of crossovers, which was Daredevil. Yeah, the Daredevil yeah. scene is probably my like second or third favorite scene in the whole movie. That yeah, it's scene where he good. catches the brick that was thrown through the window, and Spider-Man's like, how did you do that? And he's like, I'm a really good lawyer. That was gave me a bit of a fucking chuckle. I enjoyed and, that. And it's because of that that I believe should they continue this story uh, in the future, when next we see Happy Hogan, he's going to have Matt as his lawyer, because Matt says, you're going to need a really good lawyer, and then ten seconds later, he, he himself says, I'm a really good lawyer. Yeah, and, uh, well, what the thing with Happy, too, I feel like that's just them setting up Armor Wars as well. Yeah. Very, very likely. Uh, but yes, the inclusion of Matt Murdock... The fact that they've now uh, kind of uh, officially started taking the Daredevil Netflix series into the fold. Uh, like another thing we can say, uh, fuck you, spoilers, this is happening. Spoilers for Hawkeye, not the final oh. episode, the second oh. last episode. Spoilers <laughs> for the second last episode of Hawkeye, Vincent D'Onofrio has been brought back. So they are starting to bring characters into the fold uh, from the Daredevil series, and I'm very enjoying of it. Yeah, uh, I have opinions on Daredevil, which we will talk about at another time. <laughs> That's uh, on, no, sorry on Hawkeye. Not, yes, I, I have opinions um, on both. But yeah, so there. The one thing I will say about the Matt Murdock uh, reveal is, I just kind of wish there was slightly more of Charlie Cox's Matt Murdock. I understand this was less so about making him a character and more so just about having him be officially confirmed as in the MCU. Because all the theories about the hairy forearms people saw in the interrogation scene, and they're like, that's Charlie Cox's hairy forearms if I've ever seen them. <laughs> He's in here. So I feel like him being in the movie was less so about him becoming a character and Daredevil becoming a character in the MCU, and more so just revealing that he is in the MCU and he'll get his own storylines in the future to properly establish him, uh, maybe acknowledge some or disacknowledge some of the stuff that happened in the Daredevil series. All I'm saying is I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of him. Yeah. And this and might actually crazy be how all the members of the Defenders went away during the blip. Isn't that weird? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, this could be the new way we're looking at cameos in the MCU where it might not be these big team-up cameos, but literally just, oh, of course, that character has this job or this skill set or this item, so they go to get whatever from the character. 
Yeah, and yeah. honestly, that's probably the better way to do cameos because we have so many characters in the MCU at this point that people are constantly asking, going to be asking the question, why wasn't Blank involved in this storyline? Like, uh, fucking Hawkeye takes place in New York. Why isn't Peter Parker getting involved in Hawkeye? Is a question people might theoretically be asking. Um, oh, not that I'm thanks. trying to ask that right now. So getting rid of the idea of big team-ups as being the cameo, and more so just having a character show up for a scene and provide a useful tool or bit of information might be the better way to do cameos going forward. Yeah, and um, I hope this is the case, because that means in the future, without making a big deal about it, we're going to possibly get a She-Hulk versus Daredevil like in the courtroom. That would of having good. these two like uh, lawyers go at it on screen, a six episode crime drama that's all in the courtroom. Oh, Law and Law and Order MCU, and it's just <laughs> Matt Murdock versus uh, Lady Archie Hulk for the entire fucking series. I'd watch it. Oh, I would yeah. absolutely watch it. Absolutely. Oh, so yeah, I mean. Uh, Maybe maybe there's gonna be another allude to it, like when the She-Hulk show comes out. Maybe like Miss um, Page, uh, Karen is gonna show up, uh, or Foggy is gonna be like in it in some way. Guess you know lawyers. Yeah, I think there is a good chance we'll be getting the Daredevil characters. I am curious to see uh, what other things get pulled over. Yeah, from what I can tell. Because a lot of people were really happy with the casting when they watched that movie, or not that movie, the original Daredevil series, I think it's a lot more likely we'll get the cast brought over, but the plot, not so much. Because I think there are certain things that happen in the plot that they just don't want to deal with having also happened in the world. Like Dragon Bones under New York. Yeah. But I yeah. think it's going to be one of those loose reboot things where it's like, they'll make mention of things, but what's canon and not is very vague. Yeah. Yeah. yeah just Daredevil will talk like, about oh, how... Hey. Yeah, he'll have a line about how he dealt with the hand in New York without talking about what specifically his own interactions with the hand were. Mm -hmm. That way, if people want to have an idea of what he's talking about, they can watch the Daredevil series. And maybe that's what happened. Maybe it's not. Who cares? Yeah. Yeah. So looking forward to all of that. Uh, and then, uh, as mentioned, looking forward to some of these um, characters showing up and helping each other, like, in Hawkeye, why doesn't Spider-Man or Doctor Strange or anyone else show up to help out? Even after, it, uh, even after Hawkeye drops that massive building-sized arrow onto the bridge, it's like <laughs> that's gonna make the news. That's gonna <laughs> tell like everybody, all the Avengers uh, or remaining heroes, who's uh, uh, who's where. So yeah, so. That's always been a problem with the MCU is they can't afford to put every actor into every movie. And so people on the internet are always like, why wasn't Blank involved in the events that happened at Blank? Or why didn't he call on his good friend Blank? Uh, I think we're all just going to collectively have to learn to move on from that. And hopefully cameos can be a thing and a way of keeping the world interconnected without having to constantly bring every single one of the Avengers into every conflict one of the Avengers gets into. That's fair. Uh, um, so, so I do have an interesting uh, question for you guys, and that's 
a lot of people have been very mixed on the fact that Doctor Strange cast this spell, saying it was out of character or weird and such and such. How do you guys feel about him doing this? I think there was a very subtle detail at the end of the episode, or not episode, end of the movie, that revealed why he cast the spell. Um, well, I think there's a couple reasons, because we already know how much Doctor Strange has been invested with trying to change the past, and he's realized that that's not always something that he can do. Um, so he kind of understands where Peter Parker is coming from. And I think the very subtle detail that kind of gives away the gambit of why he was willing to cast this spell that might seem out of character for him. Uh, the very end of the movie, when, spoiler alert, uh, the universes are cracking open and all the multiverse, everyone who knows who Peter Parker is, which is infinitely many people, because we have infinitely many universes, uh, starts coming through the floodgates. Uh, and Peter says, make everyone forget who Peter Parker is that would fix it and dr strange has the line of if we do that then everyone who loves you we would all forget you uh the fact that he uses we and not they there implying that he also cares very deeply for peter parker because they've been through some shit together and the entire time he had to remember this was just a child who was willing to fight a fucking alien who had the capacity to kill entire civilizations so I think it's safe to say Doctor Strange clearly loves Peter Parker, not in like a romantic way, but in like a paternal way. And I think that's why he was willing to do something that other people might be arguing is out of character for him. Yeah, definitely and, with the original trailer, it seemed like it was an out of character thing because we got the misdirect of Wong saying, don't cast that spell. But when we actually get into the scene with him talking about the spell, it sounds like Doctor Strange just kind of casts this whenever. And it's not a difficult spell. It was Peter fucking up the spell that caused the problem. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The other, the thing that legitimately made me laugh in the theater was uh, to, uh, Wong trying to be like, "That's a very serious spell." He's like, "We've cast it for less." Like, remember the full moon party at Camertage? And Wong's like, "No." And Doctor Strange is like, "Exactly." That legitimately had me laughing in the theater when I fucking saw that. Or um, that Wong is the Sorcerer Supreme because Doctor Strange was blipped. Yeah, technicalities due to Doctor Strange being blipped. Uh, fucking great which is one thing i will say about this movie that it did very fucking well was it had a very solid balance between what was humorous and what was emotional to the point where there were multiple times in this movie where i was uh tearing up and yet interweaved between those times when i was tearing up there were moments when i was laughing about what was happening and then going right back down to the pits of sadness so it didn't feel jarring when any of this was happening either, so it did a very good job of constructing a story that made me feel a lot of things while I was watching the movie. That's how I'm going to phrase that sentence. Uh, I know what you're talking about there. Like the um, Obviously, we had an incredibly sad death, one I didn't see coming at all. I don't <laughs> know if... As soon as she fucking said, with great power, I was yeah. like, she's dead! She's not getting out of that room! Yeah, oh, no, yeah. the moment she started to say, you have great power, I was like, oh, she's going to die. Because anytime anyone tells Peter Parker that he, with great power comes great responsibility, <laughs> they're saying that before they fucking die. Uh, usually it's Uncle Ben saying it before he dies, but sometimes it's Aunt May, sometimes it's other people. Yeah. And so, the moment she started like, saying that line, I was like, she's dying. Yeah, so I, I wasn't expecting that. Uh, like, her death, Aunt May's death, was 
like very sad, very tragic. And yeah, like because you didn't see it coming, or I assume most people didn't see it coming, it, it hit really hard. And then we I go will say I did that. not walk into that theater expecting Aunt May to die. It wasn't that, until yeah. we got to that scene that I started to realize what was happening. Yeah. Uh, and then we go right from that into like his friends goofing around and like, hey, we're joking about the other two Spider-Man. It's all a big wow factor. And then we go right back to like Spider-Man in the depths of despair, like, you know, just talking about how he wants to kill him and rip him apart. Okay. Yeah. Right. It's a lot of emotions. A lot of emotions. Yeah, you get the feeling that so uh to go back a little bit and explain some of the plot in case someone is for whatever fucking reason listening to this podcast without having watched the movie. Monsters. Um, yeah. So they cast the spell, uh these five villains come through the wayworks and end up in our dimension, well, the MCU. Uh and they wreak havoc and Spider-Man sets to collect them all so that they can send them back to their own dimension and cancel out the spell. And after collecting them, he realizes that each and every one of them was just about to die in their own universe, except for uh, Sandman and uh, the Lizard, but I guess most people he wouldn't realize that everyone else seemed to believe that they were about to die. So there um, is some debate on this, because uh, uh, what I've seen a lot of is people taking it that they all were pulled from the universe at the moment they found out Peter Parker was Spider-Man and not before their death. Uh, so, yeah, Octavius would have been in that situation where he's probably sacrificed himself once he goes back. Which, I guess, kind of explains his heel turn in that movie, in a way. But uh, for uh, Osborne, he found out at that Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah. Um, regardless, uh, we know all of them kind of are under the understanding that if they go back, they're going back to their death. Uh, which is why Peter decides he has to try and help save them because he doesn't want them to just be sent back to the slaughter. Um, and that's that what so kind of brutal when they're just going back to fight another Spider-Man. Uh, <laughs> when you go it. back to the the hellish future that is your own dimension against a foe that you can possibly beat, isn't it just you? Yep. <laughs> uh, but regardless, so he comes to the conclusion that he has to help save them. Uh, and after Aunt May d dies, and he has the moment of self-pity where he's explaining how this isn't his responsibility. He was Dr. Strange was right the first time. They just have to cancel out the spell and send them all back to be resolved in their own universes. I kind of got the vibe in the theater. Like, yes, it's largely him being sad and being exhausted and feeling like Aunt May's death was because he tried to do all this. But I also kind of got the feeling that he was fully willing to send them back on the understanding that they were going to die because that's just what he wanted to do. He wanted them to be dead at that point, as we see later on, where he absolutely wants Norman Osborn to be dead. Mm -hmm. um, I guess. That fucking fight scene, man, between him and... Oh, the two fight scenes between him and Osborn were both fucking amazing fight scenes. Well, well the building fight between him and Osborn is my second favorite scene in the whole movie. Uh, yeah, the fight so... where Osborne tackles him down through multiple floors? Yeah. yeah that was and fucking the, the beautiful thing about that is that's probably, like, the most gritty, raw fight that Tom Holland Spider-Man has been in this whole franchise. And normally he tries to talk down people. It's like, oh no, don't do this. Like, he, all of his characters, he tries, all villains, he's tried to talk down so far. But he, he actually came face-to-face -face with a killer who was just crazy and wanted to kill, and he did not know what to do. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, so and, that was really great. Like when the fight first started, everything was super chaotic, but it was, that was because you had six characters moving in different directions. Like, you know, uh, so there was a lot of cuts. It was messy at the very start, but then it became really freaking cool when they're like in the hallway and going through like multiple floors. Yeah. The, yeah. the part in that fight where Spider-Man kind of, uh, this is a, uh, uh, bad word for me to think, use, but I can't think of a better one while I'm vamping right now. But Spider-Man kind of mounts uh, Willem Dafoe's shoulders and just starts laying into him, just punching him repeatedly in the face. And Willem Dafoe is just fucking laughing it off. Yeah. Oh, that scene was so fucking good. Uh, it's just a highlight that, uh, at the time, Willem Dafoe was just the perfect casting for Osborne. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I, I saw heard Os that... Uh, <clears throat> I don't know how true this is. But supposedly, he agreed to do this movie um, with the uh, with the understanding that like he would do all of his own stunts and fight scenes. And he's sixty six years old. Yeah, I uh, have my own personal uh, fan theory about the movie, which is that each and every one of the actors who played one of the five villains was told they get to continue making movies in the MCU so long as they actually physically beat the shit out of Tom Holland. <laughs> and so they were all giving it their all in each of those fight scenes. Who knows how true that was, because I think Willem Dafoe was the only one who actually was in a position to punch Peter in the face. The rest of them all kind of had CGI going on, but... It's true. Maybe that's why Willem Dafoe really went to town fucking Tom Holland there. <laughs> Uh, I really like the costume design, and this is something I, I want to talk about. Is like, uh, I, I think they did a great job with uh, the costumes and, and making them all look the way they did. However, holy costume change, Spider Man! He changes costume a fucking lot, and he and, does. And, but the thing I like about it is, it's not him making new super suits each time. It's all. It all kind of makes sense. So the first costume we see him wearing is the nano suit, and then a chunk of the nanobots get ripped out, so he can't wear that suit anymore. So he brings up his other one, but that one had green paint thrown all over it, so he can't exactly... I mean, he could, but he'd look really stupid wearing a suit with the big splotch of green paint over it. So he's wearing that suit inside out for his fight with Electro, and that's why that looks like a whole new suit. It's the suit we've already seen with the wiring on the inside, except now the wiring's all on the outside. And then he ends up going and visiting May, and she cleans the suit for him. So from that point onwards, he's wearing that suit the right way. And then the final costume change is uh, when he gets some of the nanobots back, and they kind of, like, enhance the spider emblem on his fucking suit. Uh, so it wasn't like he was constantly making new suits throughout the movie. Uh, it was all justified in-universe of why he had all these different suits that he was wearing. And it's probably mostly just going to sell a whole bunch of Spider-Man toys. Yeah, but I thought it was just unnecessary how many times the, the costume changed. And yes, you're right, it does make sense. It does work. But had it not been for what the final costume was, I would have been like, just like, oh my god, like, come on. That's like, true. There is one time. final uniform we get to see him wear uh, for only half a second. I guess it's a couple seconds. Yeah, the shiny um, blue spandex. Shiny blue spandex. original. The yep. original comics Spider-Man costume. Yeah. Had it been anything else, I would have been like bothered. But like this, uh, this was good. Oh yeah. Well, uh, it, this is effectively the three-movie trilogy we had. Is the origin story for Spider-Man as a whole, 
and him being forgotten is kind of a soft reboot that gives us the actual Spider-Man of the comics. Yeah, so I think the whole trilogy as a whole is a lot of his growth as a character because the first movie is him trying to impress Tony Stark, essentially. Uh, That's what the whole first movie is about, is him trying to impress Tony Stark, prove that he's capable of being a full-on superhero in his own right. And then we get Far From Home, and it's him trying to live up to Tony's shadow and trying to be the superhero that Tony was and feeling like he's not quite cut out for it. And then this movie... I feel like this movie was largely about him learning lessons from Aunt May and learning that perhaps Tony Stark, while a true hero and a great benevolent god of the MCU, according to that one guy in the post credit scene, <laughs> isn't perhaps the person he should be modeling his life off after. And I think this is the one where you finally see him kind of being his own hero, because a key detail that I saw someone pointing out on the internet is in the first two movies and in any of the Avengers movies when we see him fighting someone, He's talking throughout them, and a lot of the time he's apologizing for the fight that he's having and saying, like, sorry, sorry, I kind of have to do this. Um, This is the one where when we see him fighting, he's never apologizing for what he's doing. He's fully, because the apologizing always kind of felt like he was shifting the blame off of him and not taking responsibility. I'm sorry for the fact that I'm fighting you. It's not my desire to be fighting you. I'm fighting you because I have to fight you. These are the ones where he's fully taking responsibility for the fights himself. And it was a very big sign of character growth that he's no longer apologizing for the fight and trying to shift blame off of himself. He's fully acknowledging that this is just uh, what he has to do to be the kind of hero he wants to be. Well, also, the movie kind of starts with him having all of his like support networks for superheroing stripped away, where he loses access to all of the, like, the Stark stuff, pretty much, except for the suit he has. Uh, Stark Industries is under investigation, so they can't really help out. He loses his house. Yep. The media support. He loses Aunt May. So, yeah, and ultimately, he, he does lose he everything. He loses... At the end. Uh... He even loses Strange, you know, like his only ally who he has to fight. I think you mean Steven, or Sir, depending on his current mood. <laughs> I think it's good, depending on his current opinion of you. Yeah, that scene was fucking great, where, uh, like, throughout the beginning, uh, Tom Holland keeps referring to Stephen Strange as Sir. He's like, we've fought Thanos together, don't call me Sir. He's like, okay, Stephen. And he's just like, oh, that feels super fucking weird. And then after... Tom Holland fucks up the spell repeatedly. He's like, Stephen, I'm sorry. He's like, call me sir. That was like so well, I It wasn't just the fucking up the spell. It was also the fact that he got denied from college and his immediate reaction was, I'm going to cast a spell to get everyone to forget and not, I should talk and make my case. Yeah. To be fair, it's another classic example of Spider-Man is just a fucking kid, man. He's just, like, doing the best he can, and he's a superhero who has fought against some amazing odds, but he's still a high school student who does not understand how the world works. Yeah. Yeah, being played by a 30-year-old. Is Tom Holland 30? No, Tom Holland's, like, 25. I'm just putting out a number because he's (laughs) clearly not a high school student. But yes, like, really all of them uh, were a bit you know, too old to be high school students. Tom yeah. Holland is 25. Yep. yep. Andrew Garfield is 38, and Tobey Maguire being the oldest Spider-Man is 46. Yes. Jesus. So, 
I like how like okay. Uh I'm gonna take all this with a grain of salt. So I like how they had that bit about how Toby Maguire has back problems. Yep. <laughs> yes. But that whole bit and a lot of bits uh uh in and around that uh scene they're cute and fun for a first watch and i was really enjoying myself however i don't think this movie is going to be super rewatchable because that and a lot of lines like a lot of lines in this movie are really just put in there to be like cute little oh hey remember that scene or hey like do you guys recognize this reference yeah so honestly a lot of the movie to me felt like they were tongue-in-cheek references to the internet itself and a lot of the memes that exist as a result of uh the spider-man movies like the fact that tom mcguire is complaining about his back i felt like that was largely based on that one scene where he fucking falls off the roof and breaks his fucking back and stands well, like, ah, it, my it, back! It, it's also a joke to the fact that Tom Maguire himself actually did injure his back during Seabiscuit and he tried to use it as a negotiation tool for go- the next Spider-Man movie. Yeah, like he, yeah. he couldn't do his stunts in uh, Spider-Man 3. They had like, you know, the stuntman or like he wore his mask a lot more than they intended. Um, so yeah, like that was a that was a thing going forward to say. Oh, hey, uh, remember that? Or um, uh, I'm, you know, I, I am a something of a scientist myself. I, I, I yeah, you know, it was cheesy, but I love the shit of it because it wasn't just a hey, he said the line. It actually fit contextually too. Oh, it did. It worked. But yeah. like in five years' time, well, even now, I I think that meme's already run its course. Um, so yeah, when I watch this again in five years, or if I'm showing my kids. Like, oh, hey, check out the Spider-Man movies from my generation. They're going to be like, I don't get any of these lines. Why are they talking so much? Because, <laughs> yeah, they they do have a lot of talks and conversations. Even, like, uh, they they talked a bit too long during the... Um, when the big fight is happening on the Statue of Liberty and the sand's flying everywhere and there's villains climbing up after them and they're all, like, arguing over who's Peter One and who's whatever. It's like, this is not the time for that. The... Uh, but that's a very Peter Man. That's a very Spider-Man situation, though. I feel like in a comic, Spider-Man would have the same conversation. (laughs) It is a very Spider-Man conversation, but it is the whole what's an Avenger? Are you a part of a band? That whole exchange... I felt like it did shift the tone of the scene a fair bit. And it's one of those things where it's a reference that was put in there, honestly, for no one, because anyone who's watching these movies is a fan of these movies and doesn't need to have the concept of Avenger explained to them. It's really there for, like, anyone who doesn't realize that these Spider-Man movies were standalone movies and wasn't aware of the fact that the Avengers didn't exist in the original Spider-Man movies because they predated the MCU. So it's just a weird choice for them to uh, make a big exchange about. Because it's one of those things five years from now, going back to watch it like Thomas has been saying, it's just going to feel awkward and out of place. Yeah, and so this is one of those movies that needs a a rewatch to get a critical examination of it. I only saw it the once. But yeah, I feel that in a lot of scenes like were great on the first watch. Because, yeah, it, it was amazing seeing them all on screen and, like, hearing them all, like, talk to each other like this. But after the the wonder loss and the honeymoon phase uh, wears off, 
I think you can critically analyze this movie a lot more. Because, yeah, that really threw apart the the whole pacing of uh, what was going on at that moment. And even if it was a Spider-Man thing to do, in the comics, they could have had just panels and it would have made a lot more sense on... um, uh, Like, oh, we don't know how much time has passed. We're just going to keep going with this. Like, that's right. Yeah, they can like, spend a uh, panel talking in full sentences while like swinging and then just continue on. That's fair. And I feel like you have highlighted a problem that's definitely going to be with this movie, where a lot of it is very contrived in a few senses. And I'm not, again, I, I love the movie and I still will enjoy it watching it multiple years down the line. But I feel like a lot of the things that what they were doing with this movie kind of stripped it from being anything more than what it is at face value and in that it kind of makes it not even the best of the spider-man trilogy so far we have yeah it i thoroughly enjoyed the movie but i definitely feel like it oh like another uh scene that i feel like was like this uh i think it was fantastic on first watching i feel like going back and rewatching the scene probably drags on a bit too much and that's the scene where ned and mj find the two other peters I feel yes. like that whole interaction with Andrew Garfield where he's trying to prove that he's Spider-Man and the whole conversation with the Nona about, oh, you have to get the cobwebs out of the corner. Like, yeah, it's a nice touch. Having Spider-Man clean up webs. Cool scene. I feel like on future rewatchings of that movie, that scene probably drags on a bit too much. Yeah, and I thought, like, because there was a lot of information coming at you hard and fast, and like, it's as we talked about, it's in between two super emotional bits. And yet, like, yeah, it's, it's drawn on too long. Part of which, it, part of which is because they have uh, his uh, Nona. Uh, am I saying that right? Was it yeah. Nona? Yeah. Uh, yeah. His Nona shouldn't have been in, in the movie. Like, yeah, it was cute and kind of funny. It still took away from it all. Like, have these characters actually talk, get through the scene. Honestly, the fact that uh, that scene, a large portion of it was his Nona saying something and then Ned having to translate for everyone else. I feel like if you cut the Nona out of it and just have Ned say what his Nona was saying without him pretending to be translating for someone else and just him sharing the opinions himself, I feel like it would have worked just as fine and wouldn't have felt like it dragged nearly as much. Yeah, because I bet, I didn't time it, but I bet if you went in cut all the scenes with Nona in it or talking or like it on her, you would save like five minutes of the movie in a critical part and you would not miss a beat. Like you wouldn't have like taken anything substantial at all away from the movie. Yeah. You would still have the levity of the scene to kind of give people a breather before they go into the next emotionally heavy scene where everyone's explaining how MJ dying was a good thing because it taught him the lesson. Um, and still have that scene to give people a chance to catch their breath before they have to go into it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, uh, I will say, though, I really love the whole thing of MJ throwing bread rolls at him. <laughs> to yes, try to see if he had this tingle. Rolls. I have the tingle. It doesn't work uh, for bread. <laughs> and, and and the two of them, like, immediately seeing each other and, like, shooting at each other. Like, the, the web shots as they, like, flip around. It was neat. Oh, yeah. Well, it, it's because even in the comics, they have the precedence of if two Spider-Men get together, they get, like, weird feedback. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the spidey sense like plays off of each other. Because uh, one of them registers any movement from the other one and like prepares to take defense against it, and the other one registers them preparing to take defense as them getting ready to offense, and it ha- creates a feedback loop where it constantly accelerates between the two of them. Yeah, um, and then uh, of course, um, Obi Maguire. Uh, no, sorry. Uh, like Tom Holland immediately like whips around uh, when when the two of them are up on the building for no reason. Uh, that that the two of them are just like perched on the top. Speaking and, uh, of Spidey Sense, I want to go back to an earlier scene that I thought was uh, very amusing to me, uh, which was uh, the first time Spidey steals the box that would destroy the spell and send everyone back to their own dimension. And Doctor Strange does the technique where he knocks uh, Spidey into like the astral plane where he's disconnected from his physical body just so he can easily take the box back and be done with it. But Spidey's reflexes are so well-tuned that even when he's not in his body, his body is still protecting the box to the point where Doctor Strange can't grab it. I thought that was another great fucking moment to have. Oh yeah, there's been a few times in the comics where Spider-Man's been knocked unconscious, but his Spidey sense, since it's a reflex, still keeps him safe. Yeah. That was cute. I did like it, but at the same time, man, Strange, like, didn't try at all. He he just, like, lazily moved, like, one hand, like, ugh, missed. Ugh, missed. Uh, miss. Oh, uh, now he's back in the body. Something well, to point out. Part of that. Sorry, go ahead, Keith. I was gonna say something to point out during this scene too, and it is kind of easy to miss. But uh, astral form Peter has like the little wavy lines to indicate the, like the spider sense when he's in the astral form. Yeah, and he has the line about my spidey sense is going nuts right now. Um, the other key detail to notice is while Spidey's knocked out of his body, time is slowed the fuck down. Like, you see people standing still on the streets where they were walking. Spidey's whole body is still getting knocked back and falling into the street while this is all happening. So, I think the reason Doctor Strange doesn't seem to be putting in a lot of effort is because he's putting a lot of effort into keeping Spidey out of his fucking body for those few moments. Uh, but I don't know for sure. Maybe there's... That's not uh, a it, thing. It just looked kind of lazy to me. Fair. I called it in the theater after we got out. Peter can attest to this. I am saying that the most memeable moment from this movie is going to be when Peter uh, beats Doctor Strange in the uh, mirror world. Oh, you know what's better than magic? Blank! Yes. Uh. Like that. (laughs) Uh, That, I think, is going to be memed the most. Because... You know, Marvel movies are a treasure trove of these. I think it's going to be that one, but it's going to be twofold. It's going to be, you know what's better than Magic Blank? And it's also uh, perhaps only going to be me making this meme, but there's also going to be, you know what's better than Blank? Math! That's another meme that's going to be spread purely by my hands. (laughs) I guess it could work both ways. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, yeah. So a scene we kind of touched briefly on that I think we can go back to is uh, all of the villains being brought to Happy's house and all the dialogue and fun stuff happening during that. Oh yeah, of course. Uh, that one was another great scene for uh, Spider-Man not just being a great combatant, but just being a technical wunderkind, as some people would call him, and I never will again because that felt weird and wrong. Um, but like his ability to use the Fabricator not only using this advanced technology to create something that's whatever, in theory, I don't know how it works. Maybe it's super easy that even a fucking kid could make a fully functioning car using it. But the fact that he could 
so easily register exactly what was wrong with their bodies and in his own head devise a way to resolve it. Like the obvious example being the first one with uh, Alfred Molina's uh, Otto Octavius and how he realized that exactly what went wrong was the chip that was supposed to keep the arms from overpowering his brain fried and so now the arms were in control of him rather than him being in control of the arms. So for Spider-Man to so quickly register that and then to work up a replacement chip, like, great example of Spider-Man being a fucking genius. In fact, I think this might be the first time in the three movies that we actually got him, like, we know that he made, like, his own Spider-Man tech at the beginning, like the web shows and all that, but we never actually seen him, like, how smart he is up to this point. Uh, yeah, I so think I'd... in in the so... first movie, it, it, yeah. Or no, in Civil War. In Civil War, you get introduced to him, and he talked about how he made his own web fluid, he made all this stuff, he uh, yeah, he made all of his uh, kit, and then in the second Spider-Man movie, you see him. He uses the fabricator on the airplane to make yeah. himself a suit that could better deal with the um, uh, with the Mysterio bots. Yeah, uh, my main thing was with that scene. It's more of he's working on what he already has, but this one's actually him like applying his like knowledge of like science and physics and all that stuff to like be able to come up with like they make an anti-serum for the goblin even though it doesn't work uh but the fact that he was able to get a basis for that as well as he was able to figure out what the problem with the liberator like eliminator ship is and was able to come up with the idea of building one right so i think one of the key details that people might miss in that scene is not only does he uh realize the limiter chips the problem and create a replacement it's not just him taking the original design and recreating it and plugging that into Otto Octavius's uh, spine, I guess. Yeah. Um, uh, one of the key details that a lot of people might fucking miss is that that chip continues fucking working and Alfred Molina's complete, or I guess Otto Octavius is completely in control, even after he gets shocked by Electro with the power of an arc reactor. So Peter not only saw, oh, that's the problem, it got fried, I'll replace the chip. He obviously put in some sort of backup to keep it from getting fried the moment it got a bit of juice in the future again. Because that's what happened the first fucking time around, was Otto Octavius got too much power into him vis-a-vis -vis the power of the sun in his hand, and that fried the chip. This time getting shocked and having all that electricity coursing through his body did not fry the chip the second time around. So not only did Peter fix it, he also worked in a backup to make sure that exact problem never fucking happened again. Yeah. And, like, they don't call attention to it. They don't say that that's what he's doing. But clearly he did it because what should have uh, caused the problem to happen again didn't cause it to fucking happen again. Or he and, built the thing for uh, Electro to pull out all the access electricity from him. Yeah, and even, like, goes on to explain, like, it's obviously not going to pull all the electricity out of your brain, cause, or out of your body, because you know you need electricity for your brain. Why am I explaining how the human body works in electricity to a guy who's made out of electricity? Like, he understands that it needs to pull out the electricity that gives him the powers without pulling all the electricity out of his body. Fucking brilliant. Now, they could have easily put in a single sentence uh, to explain that. Like, oh, hey, like, the chip wasn't fried because you made it stronger. Like, yes, it was unnecessary, uh, but they could have. And uh, I think it would have been more prudent to have just a single line get said during um, when the serum, the goblin serum, doesn't work. Because it did seem weird, and it makes sense. But it, it did seem really weird how he gets stabbed with the anti-goblin serum, and then just shrugs off like nothing happened. And it's like, so, oh, 
clearly I was like uh, working uh, to, or I was manipulating the serum to not uh, take away my goblinness. But it, it, it's a line he could have said in like just a few words, and True. it would have That's worked fair. well with the with what was happening. That is 100% just what I assumed was happening when, uh, because Peter obviously didn't understand the specifics of the serum in the first place, so how could he create an anti-serum? Uh, so I assume he was working with Norman, and Norman was giving him the details of the serum. So my assumption when it didn't work was just that the goblin was manipulating things behind the scenes to make sure the serum didn't work. But yes, yeah. it would have, it wouldn't have hurt to include that line just so we have the understanding of why it didn't work, and it does work when Tobey Maguire is Spider-Man next to the serum. Yeah, Tobey Maguire, I mean, <laughs> he would know more about it, but... Like, well, he even he has the line about... Well, not necessarily, because he even explains that ever since what happened with Harry as well, he's, like, as big as regretting. I think he probably got the information about how the serum worked after the uh, Spider-Man 3 movie, is kind of how I took it. Yeah, yeah. because how he was... Uh, yes, he did have that one line about trying to um, uh, fix them. Yeah. And uh, so, Andrew Garfield was the one who came up with the, well, he fixed the lizard equation, so him being able to reverse it makes sense, too. Yeah, yeah he like, already like, cured him. So Yeah, he cured him in the first movie, so it makes sense that he already knows how to cure him in this movie. Um, speaking of, uh, so we kind of talked about, well, I guess I kind of talked about the chip, and that was like a great example of show don't tell in movie telling like they weren't yep. going through the details of explaining exactly what happened they just had it happen didn't draw a huge amount of attention to it and it's one of those details you can pick up on um another one of those details that they call no attention to uh but does a lot of storytelling uh if you look out for it is the fact that mj is wearing the broken uh black dahlia necklace throughout the entire movie um like yeah, it's one of those details where if you haven't watched the previous movies, it's just a nice necklace. If you have watched them, you realize it's the gift that he gave to her. So her wearing it throughout the movie just seems like her still being in a relationship with him. Sure. But the fact that she continues to wear it after she has forgotten everything about Peter Parker is a very nice detail. And I think it leaves some room for even if she doesn't know who she is, there's something in the back of her brain somewhere that allows her to make that connection if he ever does decide to tell her. Yeah. Now, <laughs> I feel we're not ready to talk about the ending yet. We're so not. I just I needed to talk about that. I'm yeah. sorry. So let's put a pin on that for now. But yes, that, that's a great observation. I did not notice that. Uh, so, but there's a lot to be said about the end. Yeah. Uh, actually, so, another interesting thing to talk about during the Statue of Liberty fight is uh, did you guys notice any of the figures that were coming through in the tears? Uh, so I noticed Scorpion Sorry. and Rhino. I don't remember any others that said There was there. also a Craven the Hunter and at least one or two Dr. Ox. Oh, you're right. There was Craven the Hunter. I it, remember it was, now. Now, we didn't really get a good sense of them. That's clearly what they were. Yeah. But it was hard to, like, the, the shape could have been literally anything. Yeah, I think they were like just kind of alluding to the there, fact there's it, multiples. Yeah, like when I saw like the scorpion, it almost looked like just an alien with a really long neck. Like, yeah. I think it's one of those ones where if you were watching this at home and had the opportunity to pause uh, when it panned over that, you would be able to see them all in enough detail that you could probably 
figure out who each one was supposed to be. Oh, definitely. But in a movie where you can't pause it and you're watching it in theaters, there, there probably is a lot more room for interpretation. But yeah, I think for the most part, I didn't catch anything that didn't look like it was a Spider-Man related villain or character. So I think it was just alluding to the fact that the spell was bringing through Spider-Man villains. And if they didn't cast the everyone forgets Peter Parker spell at the end, it would have been like fucking every single Spider-Man villain brought into the universe. In every version of them. You know, an infinite amount of Spider-Man villains, but also an infinite amount of Spider-Man. Yeah. And yeah, it's... it's specifically everyone who knows that Peter Parker and Spider-Man are the same person. So we probably would have also gotten multiple Gwen Stacy's and Mary Jane's. So, yeah, on that, technically there would have been Aunt May's and Gwen Stacy's and Uncle Ben's. Yeah, the odd Uncle Ben. I, I, there would have been very few Uncle Ben's because most Uncle Ben's die before figuring anything about Peter oh, Parker they, being Spider-Man. Most of them die before Peter Parker yeah. becomes Spider-Man. That's right. Yeah, they wouldn't have known. Yeah, a few Aunt May's. However, the Mary Janes and and or Gwen Stacy's should have been in there somewhere. And maybe they were, but they just weren't, you know, like, obviously they weren't going to get summoned when Neil does his, um, you know, his portal summon. Yeah, I think it was uh, ultimately, because it's explained that because at the beginning, when the spell starts to bring through everything, since Strange locks it down, I think the characters we see are just the few characters that actually manage to get through. There could be more out there that just were never contacted, obviously, uh, as alluded to by Venom. Yeah. Because, yeah, the only reason he, they needed to capture them was just so that they would stop you know, blowing up highways and whatever. Yeah. So, uh, it just yeah, happened to match up be... with the fact that Doctor Strange finished the re- like the retrieval spell to send them all back. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, there could have been another like forty some uh, uh, people that came through, but yeah, they weren't important. That seems harsh. They're probably important to like their families. They're just not relevant to the story. Yeah. Uh, how did you guys feel about uh, him making the decision to forget Peter Parker? I actually, I thought it was going to be everyone forgets Spider-Man was going to be the thing at the end, not Peter Parker. Yeah, uh, well, I. It was, uh, tricky. Uh, well, tricky's a weird word. Um, I feel like that was a very difficult choice for him to make, and I think it was purely because they were all coming for Peter Parker. So if everyone forgot who Spider-Man is, you would still potentially have villains who have an uneasy sense that they need to kill Peter Parker without understanding why they need to kill Peter Parker. Uh, it probably would have worked. Uh, I saw people online suggesting that instead of having uh, them forget who Peter Parker was, they should have forgotten uh, what uh, Mysterio said about Peter Parker. But I don't think that would have worked. Not for the other has... dimension stuff, but the first spell no. should have been everyone forgets what Mysterio said. Well, even yes. then, I don't think it would have worked for that one because the way that worked is Mysterio came out and said Peter Parker is Spider-Man. And even if everyone forgets that, the conversations everyone had with all their friends and family after that would have been, hey, by the way, isn't it crazy how Peter Parker is Spider-Man? So even if you forget what gave you the idea in the first place, you've had enough conversations since then where that information was reconfirmed for you that it would have been a problem. I mean, I feel like we're kind of slowly getting into this now, but that's the same problem happens with the spell anyways, if that's the problem with that version of it. The, everyone forgets Peter Parker. Well, it's like, man, isn't it strange that Spider-Man is Peter Parker? Because there was obviously conversations afterwards. Yeah, but the whole point is, if you're forgetting who Peter Parker is, then it's just, isn't it crazy that Spider-Man is 
someone I can't remember who he is. And then that's the conversation that you remember. Whereas if you're just remembering, is, unless every conversation you had about Peter Parker was, isn't it crazy how Mysterio revealed who Peter Parker was? Then I feel like that memory gets erased. But if your memory is just, if anyone has a conversation of, did you hear in the news, Peter Parker is Spider-Man? I feel like that memory would slip through even if you erase the Mysterio memory. But the idea of forgetting who Peter Parker is as a whole, or forgetting the detail that Peter Parker is Spider-Man, it catches a lot more in its net. Yeah, and mostly because of what the first spell was, it makes sense that he, like needing to recast the spell proper would be how it resolves it all. Yeah. Yeah. So... Uh, huh. But yeah, like there could have been a hundred ways that he could argue, well, what if he just called the admissions office instead of casting the spell? <laughs> well, obviously that would be the better way to resolve the whole conflict of the movie. Uh, I, I feel like we're getting close to getting to uh, the big topic, which I feel is going to take the longest, which is the spell. Okay. So no, before no. that, there's something I want to talk about. And that was, what is your favorite Spider-Man in this movie? You mean of the three? Yeah. Because uh, I'm going to be honest, I think Andrew Garfield stole the whole show. I think, I, I think they gave... Alright, so I was feeling this. I think that they did a lot of fan service on his behalf. He had uh, a lot of lines directed to him about how like Tobey Maguire saying like, no, no, you're amazing say it you are amazing and um yeah he got his redemption with with saving uh they also had uh sorry i was gonna say yeah when he saves mj i think that was probably my favorite scene and like i actually got goosebumps from it's like well that that was like really good payoff to the character's arc Mm -hmm. see but but yeah i think that they they gave a lot of uh focus on him uh, sort of like fluffing him up whereas the others didn't like toby Maguire didn't really like, didn't require a fluffer Is that what you're <laughs> it, there was there was no really fluffing of him and his character he got to talk about how he fought some black alien thing which is like okay cool uh but then you know, obviously, we know Tom Holland's like, oh, yeah, I fought an alien in space. And then um, I think the reason we, we get... get from. So I think no, the just... reason we get a lot of that from. Sorry, go ahead. Finish your point. Yeah. yeah. So. The other bits that we do get about um, Toby Maguire specifically or about how, yeah, he has a bad back and needs help cracking it. And then. Well, uh, and he has like the the web shooters, which like he can't really explain. But isn't that just kind of weird? Uh, he didn't need to be super smart like the others. And then he has the line about, um, uh, where like they they take a shot at him about like, are you going into battle dressed as a uh, middle aged youth pastor? And that that was really like the only bits for Tobey Maguire's character. So. I think the reason that uh, Andrew Garfield got so much of a fluffing, as we're now referring to it, I guess, <laughs> uh, is because of the fact that his movies were widely panned uh, by the audiences and yes. by the internet. They were considered the weakest of the three sets of Spider-Mans. So a lot of the 
punching up that they did with that was to kind of uh, defend those movies in a sense and defend some of the choices that made. So the fact that he didn't fight any aliens and having Tobey Maguire tell him you're still amazing. Like, yeah, that's him being nice. That's also them making direct, re- direct reference to those movies were called the amazing Spider-Man yeah. and not just Spider-Man. Um, I feel like the reason he got so much definitely why they did it. The reason he got so much time in the sun and the reason why they did such a strong effort in making him uh, seem uh, positive was because of the fact that he was largely panned. Um, So while I did enjoy him, I enjoyed a lot of the payoff we got for his character. I still feel like Tom Holland was my favorite Spider-Man in this movie, just because of the growth that I saw him go through over the yeah, course of the movie. It's the other two, movie, so the other two were already were Spider-Man in their own rights. Tim McGuire doesn't really get an arc at all. No. He's <laughs> the most experienced one, so he's already there to kind of act as like a guiding role to the other two. Oh, uh, for a second there, I thought he pulled a Harrison Ford. It's like, yeah, I'll come back, but you gotta kill me off. Uh, Andrew Garfield had his own kind of redemption in the fact that he got to save MJ when he couldn't save Gwen. And he got to talk about how he wasn't the greatest and have the other one stand up for him and be like, no, you're still awesome, even if you haven't fought aliens. Um, whereas Tom Holland, like, yes, it's his movie. He got a lot more screen time, but just the growth his character went through over the course of it and the shit he had to go through does make him still my favorite Spider-Man. In the movie. That's fair. I was just, I was pleasantly surprised with how excited I was to see Andrew Garfield in the role again compared to the other ones. Like I was actually him being in the movie. I was more excited for than Tom Holland being in the movie, which is the weird part. But uh, there was a few things that came of it too. I don't know if you guys noticed this, but uh, for a couple days after the movie premiered, uh, amazing Spider-Man three was trending. And uh, there's been a lot of people wanting Andrew Garfield to return to the role in some capacity or even cross over into the Venom universe. I I would actually be into any of that. I honestly was a fan of the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movies. I realized they had their flaws. The one thing I always felt about Andrew Garfield was he made a very strong Spider-Man, and he his Peter Parker was a little bit lacking in my mind because he played the role of self-assured Spider-Man who's talking down criminals a lot better than he played kind of awkward, nerdy Peter Parker. Um, but I was a fan of the movies, and I would be fine with seeing more Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man in a separate uh, portion of the multiverse. Yeah, and Andrew Garfield, like, even if he wasn't the best Peter Parker, I feel like he's always been the most enthusiastic to play Peter Parker in Spider-Man because he's, like, a really big fan himself. And, like, watching his interviews back when Amazing Spider-Man was a thing, or even leading up to this, you could tell he really much, like, he loves the character in the franchise. And I yes. think if he had the choice, he'd be fine playing only Peter Parker Spider-Man for the rest of his life, if he could. Yeah. And that's why I think it's that enthusiasm that even when Amazing Spider-Man wasn't the best movie, he was always, like, so good in it. And to see him oh, yeah. be able to, like, elaborate on that further within, like, this universe and franchise, I think it would be, like, nothing but a benefit to it. And that is one of the things I loved, is even though... uh his movies weren't widely loved because, I mean, yes, they had their flaws. Uh, the fact that when he came on stage or on screen in the theater and the theater I was in, they kind of went fucking nuts. Uh, they also went nuts when Tommy McGuire came on. But, like, that was the first collective moment of emotion shared by the fucking audience. It just goes to show that there is support for him out there. Yeah. 
like him going to Comic-Con dressed as Spider-Man, like, um, there was definitely, like, yes, he, uh, is because of his love for the character that that may have also been the reason why they gave so much fluff to him. You know, like, like when Tobey Maguire, like when the OG Spider-Man is looking at you on screen and saying, like, you are amazing. Say it. You are amazing. <laughs> and he's like, uh, you know, I don't know, man. Like, I'm not that great. It's like, no, you are. So Thanks. I, I just, I, I just needed more, to hear that. Yeah. Uh, it was yeah. more so like for Andrew Garfield, probably. But, uh, <laughs> it wasn't even scripted. It was just Tobey Maguire trying to motivate him. Yeah. Yeah. It was actually probably just like them happened to be rolling while they while they weren't actually shooting, and it was just Andrew Garfield being like, "Man, you guys made it to three movies. I only made it to two. My movies weren't that great. I, I don't know. I just feel kind of bad. You guys are so amazing." And Toby just turns to us like, "No, you cut that shit out. You are amazing." And the director's like, "Roll, roll, film all this. We'll we'll add it in post. We'll fix it. We'll fix it." Uh, and yeah, I assume that's what happened. <laughs> so yeah. Um... We should talk about an end credit scene before we get to talk about the ending ending. Yeah. Uh, so, so we have the two end credit scenes. Yeah. Well, one is just a trailer. Yeah. Which. So yeah. the end credit scene, uh, I thought was a really nice touch because uh, the end credit scene from villain or Venom Carnage, there will be Carnage, uh, was them writing Tom Hardy as Eddie Brock and Venom into the MCU and be like, look, he's here. He can see Peter Parker on the news and all that jazz. And so I really enjoyed how the end credit scene for No Way Home was them writing Tom Hardy as Eddie Brock <laughs> out of the movie, yeah. or out of the MCU altogether, uh, but leaving a little bit of Venom goop behind for them to introduce that character into the MCU if they want to. Uh, I made the joke coming out of the theater that what they should do is for the next three college Spider-Man movies, just every post-credit scene has the goop getting closer to New York. <laughs> No, nothing else. The post-credit scene is just always goop rolling down the street. Yeah, it's like, oh, that one, it's just crossed the Mexican border into Texas. And the next one, it's like, oh, it's at New Jersey. Next movie, it's going to get here. Slightly bigger each time. You know, like like it's inhabiting a fish, that's inhabiting a dog, that's inhabiting a person. <laughs> It's not. It's never actually inhabiting anyone. Each one, each scene involves someone like reaching out, like what is that? They're about to touch it, and then someone calls a name, and they pull their hand back and walk away from the goop. And it's constantly teasing who's going to be the first venom, only for them to pull their hand back and walk away each time. And then uh, you know how they do with the MCU movies, how it's like, uh, like so and so will return next movie. It's just everyone. It's like the Venom symbiote will return next movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't mention any other character, just like <laughs> the symbiote will return. It's coming still. It didn't even make an appearance. <laughs> Except for the end credit scene. Alright, so, the end credit trailer. I actually am glad they did this. I feel, well, glad's a strong term, but I feel like with the two end credit scenes uh, in movies lately, it's always been one has been related to the plot and one has just been like a fun scene of Jeff Goldblum riffing for 30 seconds to go all the way back to Thor Ragnarok. Um, So I feel like oftentimes the two end credit scenes, one always feels like just kind of meaningless and doesn't always serve a purpose. And I was a big fan of when the end credit scene was just a trailer for the first Avengers movie. So the idea of them going back to just having one proper end credit scene that you're sticking in your seats to see, and maybe the second one is a trailer for an upcoming movie that's somehow related to the plot of this one, 
I think would be a very positive change for everyone involved. Well, some of them aren't just like nonsense scenes. Like for example, Shang-Chi, uh, the final scene of that one was us getting the hint about the beacon. Yeah, I'm not saying they're all nonsense scenes. I'm just saying oftentimes when you have multiple post-credit scenes, they don't always both drive the plot forward. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like the trailers. Um, I don't know. It. I don't know which I like more, be it the trailer or like the scene cut straight out of the next movie. Like when... Yeah, I, I would have been fine movie. if it was like, for example, the where he goes and he meets Wanda in that orchard thing. If it was just that scene, I think I would have yes. been fine with it. Yeah, I think yeah. I'd be fine with that too. If it was the scene from the beginning of the trailer where Wanda's like, oh, I knew you'd be coming eventually. Look, I made some mistakes. And it's just him like, I'm not here about what happened in Westview. This is multiverse things if it was because, that scene perhaps with some more uh shots i'd be fine with it yeah because for a trailer you know you're gonna get the trailer on the internet like already the trailer is on youtube now for a multiverse of madness so you can see what the end end credit scene was but something you wouldn't get uh just on youtube the next day later unless it's a cam rip don't get me started on that <laughs> nonsense but a scene straight out of the next movie feels like a cool little like hint or an Easter egg, you know, like, Oh man, that's so cool. Like, well, that argument yeah. right there is why I prefer trailers to second scenes because I hate what Marvel has done in the fact that anyone who wants to see a movie ever, even if it's not a Marvel movie, let's say you want to see ghostbusters, you have to sit through the entirety of the credits in case they put more content at the end of the trailers or not trailers, at the end of the credits. So when it's a trailer as one of the post-credit uh, scenes, then you don't have to sit through... You sit through the like animated, fun credits where it's showing names and artful pictures from the movie, and then they have a scene. That I'm perfectly fine with. But if they make it so that the second one is just a trailer for another movie, then you don't have to feel pressured to sit in the theater for the extra five minutes or whatever watching all the credits go by. Because you know that that trailer is just going to be on the internet later that fucking day if you're seeing it the first fucking night of release. I'll be so, honest, I don't personally mind the waiting, but I know I'm an outlier. Yeah, like, I know, <laughs> especially after a longer movie, like after a three-hour movie, you know people don't want to sit around and watch the credits. Uh, however, I, I I like having to put in the effort, you know, putting in the, the work to, to get this like secret little thing so i'm i was fine with it when it was just marvel but the fact that now anytime i see any movie and the trailers start or fucking stop saying trailers the credits start playing i have to pull up my phone and google i don't know fucking porky the pig movie 2 post credit scene to see if i'm allowed to leave or not yet always find always frustrates me because if i don't google it and i decide to stay just in case and it just gets to credits roll and then black screen i always feel disappointed so, I all I'm saying is I don't mind it with Marvel, and I didn't mind it at first. But the fact that it's now spread to every movie ever now has to have a mid-credit scene and a post-credit scene, I just find frustrating. And well, I it would is Marvel's prefer... fault. Uh, like, not everyone needs to freaking mimic Marvel. Everyone yeah. wants to be the next like MCU success, but. Yeah, I just oh, tend oh, yeah. to Google if I'm going to a movie, I Google end credit scene or mid credit scene, and then I find out that way. If it's a Marvel movie, I'll just stay anyways. Yeah, 
I just all I'm saying is I wish I didn't have to Google whether or not there's an end credit scene <laughs> for a movie. That's I wish it was common if it was common practice for them to be trailers so I knew I could just Google it after the movie. Or if it was common practice for it to constantly be scenes, that'd be fine with me too. But where everyone wants to be the next Marvel and everyone's doing post-credit scenes, like the fact that Ghostbusters has had two post-credit scenes infuriates me to this day because I did not stick around to watch them. I saw this is a Ghostbusters movie. Why would a Ghostbusters movie that clearly has no plans on making a direct sequel to this movie, why would it ever have post-credit scenes? I got up and left. And the fact that I missed out on two full scenes that I'll not get to see until it comes out for fucking home release and I watch it again then for the second and a half time, uh, I find very frustrating. You take that so, back. Us Ghostbuster fans need all the content we can get. I just right. wish this isn't what the norm for movies was right now. I, I understand I... Marvel did it, and Marvel only ever did it initially as a way of marketing upcoming movies. The post credit scenes from the original Iron Man were just references to the Avengers are a thing that's coming down the pipe eventually. It wasn't added content for the movie itself, it's marketing for future movies that they're doing. And the scenes can be fun, and I will stick around and watch them. I would be prefer it if that shit was just trailers that I could watch online after the movie rather than having to sit around through the credits in the hopes that there is a scene. Because uh, every once in a while, a studio goes out on a limb and says, I'm not going to be the next Marvel, and doesn't make a post credit scene, and then I'm just sitting in a theater holding my dick for no reason. Now, I I understand your, um, your frustration with this. I sympathize. However, let's all take a moment to realize that this is the single... Lamest oh, it's the most first, first world, world problem, problem I could ever have. of all time. Like, oh my god, I have to Google the ending to a movie before I go see it in IMAX on opening night. Like, what a shame. <laughs> like, oh, really I completely not. agree it's a first world problem. I'm just saying, just because it's a first world problem doesn't mean it's not a problem. I'm allowed to vent about one thing I wish was different about the world. And if you try and take that away, then congratulations. This was your last time ever on this podcast. I hope <laughs> it's okay. He just gets angry at anyone that sits in that chair. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I noticed there's a lot of tears on the floor, uh, you know, where I'm sitting right now. Oh, that, that was from the one time I accidentally sat there. Yeah. <laughs> Matt has built up a tough exterior and is used to it. The one time Keith sat there and I just let it all out on Keith, it was not pretty. Well, I so, think it's time to get into the big discussion, if you will. Yeah. The spell. <sighs> is there anything else we need to talk about with this movie? I think we're ready to talk about the ending. Yeah, I want to um, talk about the spell. There's I two do. ways it works, and neither makes sense. Oh, wait, right. for, for the technicality of it? Yes. Uh, okay, go ahead. That's not what that's not what I'm prepared to talk about. Okay, so we there, there's two realms of thought for this spell. So everyone forgets Peter Parker. A, so Doctor Strange said it does not change anything timeline-wise. So it doesn't rewrite time. It rewrites everyone's memories. Does that mean the physical evidence is still out there that Peter Parker is... Uh, Spider-Man and that Peter Parker exists or were all physical documents removed at the time the cat spell was cast? So, 
either way, I don't think it matters like how it works because however the spell works, it's going to be that uh, they they can't comprehend it or they can't know. Like, see, yeah, I understand. Photos, uh, I understand what you're getting at here, Keith, because there's the two points. If it doesn't erase the documents, then everyone's just going to read Flash Thompson's book. Yeah, Flash Thompson's book, it was the big one that got me on this. Like, his book is literally about Peter Parker being Spider-Man, or all of uh, MJ and Ned's text messages with Peter, for example, right? But she still has the necklace. Um, and if it does erase all that documentation, how the fuck's he renting an apartment? Because he shouldn't have fucking social security numbers. Yeah, birth certificate, everything should be gone. He doesn't exist anymore if it's the other way. Uh, so... What I assume happened, and I think it's what Thomas was getting at, is that all that document documentation still does exist, um, but it's kind of like you have a memory block in place. Like, if you couldn't remember an actor's name and you just started listing movies he was in and still couldn't remember the actor's name, just because you bring up details around it, because based on what I remember of the title of the book, it wasn't so much about... Uh, Peter Parker. It was more so just about Flash being best friends with uh, Spider-Man. Um, so it's possible just that I I don't know for sure how it works. I don't know magic, obviously. Yeah. Uh, so are you? Uh, like, so no one no one knows magic who's watching the movie. It, it, so it's just supposed to be a magical kind of experience where oh well, it worked out somehow because they did the MacGuffin. I mean, they did this with Century in the comics, but that one was more of when people remember. They remember, they're not allowed to remember, and then they stop remembering. Yeah, and that's kind of my interpretation of events. It's not. It's something to that effect of anytime someone, like when Peter filed his paperwork to get an apartment, and they checked security or social security number, like, oh, yep, looking it up, that is in fact you. You are Peter Parker, you get to live here. And then the moment they fucking sign over the apartment, they're like, oh, who did I rent that apartment to? Like, I assume it's the kind I of I hope thing he pays the rent on the first. I assume yeah. it's the kind of thing where the information's allowed to exist in their brain, but they just can't keep it as a memory to the point where anytime someone has an interaction involving Peter Parker from the... or looking up details from Peter Parker from the past, they just immediately forget it. I don't uh. know if that means if he took off his mask in the middle of Times Square and was like... I'm Peter Parker, if everyone would immediately forget who he is in yeah, the moment. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, moving forward, if the spell keeps, then that means he physically can't have a relationship with any living thing. But at the yeah, same time, like... Yeah, it's just everyone everyone forgot who Peter Parker was, so they can learn about it now. Yeah. But, like, so for example, make, like, what happens if Peter... Sense when, uh, like, like he, he's just, like, in the coffee shop. The fact that he gave... He gave her his name, and then she remembered it. Yeah. So it's just like what if Peter goes to like say he he did go and say hey we were in a relationship uh, I'm Peter Parker I Spider Man here's tech messages proving our relationship before the memory wipe happened because of the wizard that everyone's aware of and would she like be like uh I forgot everything just got said or is that like new information at that point? See that's the tricky part. So what I assume is they can't figure it out based on previous information so if someone read flash's book they wouldn't be able to figure out that he's peter parker but if he came up to them and was like hey i'm peter parker i'm spider-man they would be able to figure out peter parker is spider-man based on information that came out after the spell i don't know the specifics of how the spell worked but maybe they wouldn't be able to remember their time with him from the past no matter how much he explaining he did 
but they might be able to believe him and move forward from that. I don't fucking know. Maddox uh, weird. Oh, I, I have probably they'll probably explain it when it needs to be explained. Yeah, because they probably I, won't explain it and hope that no one asks any <laughs> fucking questions. Like the Scovia Accords. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I do have one extra layer of absurdity to this, though, and that's: Did the spell affect only Tom Hall and Peter Parker, or did it hit all Peter Parkers? See, it has to have hit all Peter Parkers because the people coming from the other dimension. Yeah, they're still looking for him because he's Peter Mar- Parker. So the one thing I could think of is maybe it didn't hit all Peter Parkers because the nature of it was they wanted everyone to forget who he specifically was. Now, the way he phrased it, he wanted everyone to forget who Peter Parker was. So maybe they also forget other Peter Parkers. And he just fucked over all Peter Parkers who were happily married and still had a relationship with Aunt May for them to walk in the door one day and their wife to pull out a fucking gun and be like, who the fuck are you? Get away from me. Yeah, because there's, uh, there's two levels to this. It's either it only affected Tom Holland, in which case, technically, uh, MJ and Ned should remember the two other Peter Parkers that are Spider-Man that they met. Or every Peter Parker that goes back to their universe, now no one remembers them. I kind of think it has to be every Peter Parker because otherwise I feel like MJ would have had a much bigger reaction to Peter Parker walking in and being like, hi, I'm Peter Parker. You feel like she would have had a Oh, a third one. That's weird. I recently met two Peter Parkers and they were both Spider-Men. Are you also a Spider-Man? I feel like that's a conversation that might have fucking happened. So it might very well be that every Peter Parker in the multiverse from that point onwards, had a very awkward conversation with all of their loved ones the next <laughs> fucking day. Is it yeah, magic they, fun they when you think about it? Explain it. You're right. <laughs> oh, 100%. Just, I don't think they're ever going to explain it. It'd be nice, but I don't think they, they're just going to like, gonna it be, happened. It's just going to be one of those things that it it happened, it worked out, they all lived happily ever after, except for Tom Hall. Uh, yeah, they didn't live happily ever after, let's be honest for a second. There is some sadness going on there. So let's get into the meat and bones of the actual ending, I guess. All right. So, true to how the comics went, Spider-Man needed to do the spell to make everyone uh, forget. And then he makes the promise. He promises his girlfriend and his best friend, I will come find you. And upon finding them, he hesitates because he saw the injury uh, on MJ's head and was like, oh, I'm just going to put them in danger. So after... there's, yeah. there's the two things that cause him to ha- hesitate. The first thing that causes him to hesitate is seeing them both being very happy and excited about the fact that they got into MIT, which means they're both very happy in this current established reality. And the other one is the reminder of the injury she got from being involved with him which leads him to the conclusion of they're both happier and safer without me being a part of their life. I shouldn't reintroduce all the trauma that I, as Peter Parker slash Spider-Man, bring. Also, brief aside, do you think the admissions person's like, I promised uh, I would get uh, MJ, Ned, and Spider-Man into MIT? Well, I assume it was one of those things where I'm, because she made a point of saying, I'm going to talk to admissions about you, and I'm going to talk to admissions about your friends, and maybe the way the timing of the spell came down, she forgot about the fact that yeah. she was supposed to have a conversation about him and just had the conversation about... I met yeah. this kind of man... I, Peter Parker. I have no idea what this guy was, but he was really invested on in me making sure Ned and MJ got into uh, MIT. So, in light of that man, who I don't remember, I'm going to make sure that Ned and MJ get into MIT. I don't know. Yeah. So 
so they they get in. Maybe Peter had also gotten in, but decided not to. No, I doubt that was the case. Uh, he, he definitely did. didn't get in because he was taking his GED. Yeah, uh, yeah. back at his apartment. Yeah. So, yeah, he got a, a crappy apartment somewhere in New York, and gets to keep being Spider Man. Yeah, as we, you know, as we know him. Um, but yeah, now these two characters who are now going to be living in a different city are written out of the story altogether. Yeah, and... they did a good bit of writing out here because they wrote yep. those two out of the story by the fact that they're now in Boston instead of New York. They wrote Spider-Man out of the Avengers. No one, in, well, Spider-Man might technically still be a member, but no one knows how to contact him now except for like putting up the spider signal and hoping he fucking responds to it. Uh, and yeah, it was just a lot of while I don't think this is how it's going to be played, this could very well be used to essentially write Spider-Man out of the MCU, kind of as a whole, because now he's just a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, and yeah. he deals with crime in New York and doesn't have to appear yeah. in any movie after this one until they have the next Spider-Man he, movie. They they could just have him show up in like a small cameo on a TV show now, and that would be it. Like, yeah, we don't need to show him in movies or, or anything like that. That would be stupid of them, but... Yeah, he's one of the most popular superheroes in the world. It'd be very stupid of them to use him that way, but that is theoretically what could end up happening. That's what I suspected. Uh, so, yeah. Um, so, in line with the comics, he uh, he cannot have the relationship with MJ even after they explain, they express that they love each other. That was pretty tragic in its own right, you know, that... Much, much like, and this is a real homage to the first movie. Much like how in the first movie, Spider-Man had to have that bittersweet ending where uh, he he couldn't keep MJ in his life and had to like basically separate it because you can't have your cake and eat it too. We got that same ending this time around, where it's yeah. like, nope, I can't. I can't uh, have MJ in my life and I'll keep on doing the Spider-Man thing. But then they have the sequel, which undid that ending. It's like, yeah, you can have your cake and eat it too. You just got to work for it. So I'm going to be pretty disappointed if they just do that with the next movie of them just getting back together. And then it ends with, oh yeah. Like just like the, even in the Andrew Garfield, uh, Spider-Man movie, they they do that, um, with like he he first says no, we can't be together, and then he's like, yeah, we can be together. I so, I think they already kind of set up uh, Zendaya's MJ as being very smart and figuring things out. So I don't know if them getting together will be necessary thing, but I think at the end of the next movie, if she's in it, we could possibly see her starting to put things together. I and I think so. It, it would be. It would be neat if they change it up a little bit and have some like like she confronts him about it, but that would be really weird. Uh... See, the thing, so a lot of people on the internet are talking about how this is a very sad ending for Tom Holland in particular. I don't think enough people are realizing this is also a very sad ending for both Ned and MJ as well, because Peter Parker kind of took their choice away from them 
both of them repeatedly told him they're aware of the risks involved with being friends with or in a relationship with Peter Parker. And both of them have repeatedly said they're aware of, acknowledge, and want to continue taking the risks because they like Peter Parker, they like Peter, uh, Spider-Man, they approve of what he does and want to support him in every way possible. And Peter Parker heard their inter- er, their input and was like, yes, I understand what you're saying. I promise I will come back. I will find you. I will tell you everything. I will bring you back into the fold. And he sees one moment of them being happy and decides to take that choice away from them and yes. decide they don't get to choose anymore. He's deciding for them that they don't get to be a part of his life, even if they want to. And he wants them to be. He decides it's not safe for them. So he's taking that choice away from them. And a lot of people on the internet are talking about how that's super sad for Tom, but or Peter, I guess. But it's also super fucking sad for Zen... uh, I keep wanting to call all of them by their uh, actors' names. It's super sad for MJ and Ned as well, because he's taking their choices away from them as well. Yes. It was very sad. And uh, we can talk in a bit about what we feel this was and if it was uh, a proper ending. But I will say, before I forget again, so, and this is a Shaggy's dog story. Um, I had reservations about Tom Holland playing Spider-Man because he looks so young and that it's weird seeing a kid Spider-Man. Part of that is my own hang-ups because for me, Spider-Man uh, was always my hero. He was, you know, like the hero for me. And it was like growing up, oh, yeah, if only I could be like Spider-Man. But now, you know, in the past few years, past, what, seven years now, uh, it reached the point where Spider-Man is younger than me. And, like, you know, I'm I'm watching Spider-Man, like, grow up, which is weird. It's kind of, <laughs> yeah, it, it's been very weird for me. And so every bit of Spider-Man, up through all of his movies and appearances, and even this one in particular, through most of the movie, Spider-Man is a child. Like we were talking about earlier, you know, like he's he's a kid trying to get into admissions. He's like scared of how the world works and doesn't really understand it all that much. Dealing with high school problems. The Spider-Man that we see, or the, the Peter Parker that we see in the final five minutes of the movie looks like he's aged 10 years. <laughs> I no longer saw him as a child when he's standing in that coffee shop. Like, I don't know if it was just the acting uh, or if I just took it all in at once with it. Uh, I think it was on Tom Holland for delivering that performance, but that Spider-Man no longer was a child to me. That was a full adult Spider-Man, understanding how the world worked, making a tough, hard choice. and living with the consequences, you know, as he needed to in line with how the, uh, how the movie was uh, insisting he deal with the the world. Very well said. Similar growth for me. And I assume Keith as well in that every Spider-Man rendition before the Tom Holland one has been a Spider-Man that's been older than me and someone to be looked up to. And this is the first Spider-Man I've experienced who has been younger than me. And I don't just mean the actor. I mean, the character of Spider-Man. I am now at a point where I'm older than the character of Spider-Man. And that 
No, oh god, that's a weird sentence to say. I don't mean the <laughs> character himself. I mean the character's age in universe. I am older than that character, and that's a weird experience for me to have. And I'm started seeing him as a kid. Like in particular, the growth we see from the first one, uh, Homecoming, uh, and him—he's very much a child in that movie. And one of the scenes that really like grips at my heartstrings and reminds me of how young he is in that movie is when he first gets defeated by the vulture and he's got the rubble on top of him and he's looking down at his picture and he's cheering himself on going, come on, Spider-Man, come on, come on, Spider-Man. That fucking scene and how much of a little kid he looks like in that scene, even though he could probably rip my head off if he wanted to. Um, <laughs> yes. It's amazing growth between him there and the Spider-Man who's buying a fucking apartment in this one and who's got a police scanner app on his phone so he can track down crimes. He did a massive amount of growing up, and I don't just mean in the years he's lived, I mean in the emotional maturity he's gained over the course of these three movies, and in particular the last bit of this movie. Yeah, is and, fucking insane. And, and yeah, and really, I feel like most of it comes in the last 10 or 15 minutes of um, the, the third movie, where yeah, we've seen him in six movies. Wait, six? Yeah, six movies, and at the end of in the final 10 minutes of the sixth movie, is when you really see him like no longer as the same character he was in the previous like five and three quarters. Yeah, he's his own character at that point now. Yeah. So so I think it was done really well. Um, uh, what do you guys think about the decision and really the ending? Do you think this was a good ending for the character? Oh, yeah. Movie. Yeah, like 100%. This was the Spider Man ending you should expect. Like, Spider Man always kind of makes these decisions. So he, he's kind of been selfish and not really responsible with his things up to this point. And this, again, like, they were, this trilogy is really the Spider Man origin as a whole of him becoming the Spider Man that exists in the comics and stuff like that. So I think this ending is showing us that he's that character now. So I felt like, even though it can be seen as a sad ending for the characters, it's the ending you should really expect from a Spider-Man. Yeah, um, I w I'm also comfortable saying that uh, I've already kind of shared my thoughts on the ending as a whole uh, and what I feel about the characters in it. But yes, this ending is the perfect ending to essentially a prequel series of Spider-Man movies of we have now seen all the emotional growth he went through. We've seen his interactions with his different uh, I idols feels like the wrong word. role models, Ro role models. Uh, between it being Tony Stark, uh, he obviously had a bit of a role model in Steve a little bit. To the fact that when he first meets these two Spider Mans, and I think that's another key detail, is the first time he meets them, he's following their leads so much, and then once they all get together in the middle of the fight and realize it's not working, and he starts to take on a leadership role within those three, I think that's one of the biggest switches that we see in his character yeah and we just don't see the payoff until later on where up until that scene he's always been looking for someone else to give direction someone else to give orders for him to follow and that's the first time we see him actually take on the role of leading for himself and being the driving force between his own uh behind his own life so i think that is going to be one of the key details going forward and uh, to go back to your question, I think this is the perfect example of how 
to end a prequel series about Spider-Man so that the next time we see Spider-Man in the MCU, he can be very much just the character from the comic books. Yeah. And he has all of the traits that we would expect him to have. Just skip all the, uh, or any sort of backstory uh, or explanation as to why he's there. And really, I'm surprised they really haven't talked anymore about how he got his powers. Like, six movies, and he never, like, gives a single hint as to what happened. Oh, he just says he got bit uh, by the uh, spider. Yeah, he. there's a single line about him getting bit by a spider that he says to Tony Stark, and that's the extent of it. Yeah. Which, I mean, we don't need any more. Yeah. I'm just, I'm glad that that's what it was kept at. We can only see uh, Martha Wayne get shot so many times, right? Yeah. I thought we could only see Uncle Ben get shot so many times, but after this movie, I kind of wish we got to see Uncle Ben shot one more time and Uncle May shot one last time. Or exploded one <laughs> last time. May. <laughs> Aunt May. Aunt May. I think you meant to say Aunt Tomei. You're right. Aunt Tomei uh, is absolutely what I meant to say. Yeah. All right, then. Uh, any final thoughts before we start to wrap this episode up? No, I think we pretty much covered everything. Uh, I got my little rant out. Yeah. All right. I got to say my piece. I I still like great movie, but not not the best Spider-Man movie. Yeah, yeah there's man. a lot of talk on the internet about this being the best Spider-Man movie ever, and I think the reason people say that is because it pays off the five Spider-Man movies that weren't led by Tom Tom Holland, so it has all of their strengths combined. Essentially, I don't think this is the strongest Spider-Man movie. No, I honestly don't even think this is it, the strongest Tom Holland Spider-Man movie. I think it's a very <laughs> strong movie. But yeah. I think I prefer No Way Home. Or not No Way Home, uh, Far From Home over this yeah, one. Yeah, for the rest yeah. of the year, the only thing that could possibly unseat Ghostbusters looks like it's going to have to be Matrix, because this one did not unseat Ghostbusters for me. All yeah, right, then. Um, I, yeah, sorry. I, I mirror what you said. All <laughs> right, then. Recommendations for something for someone to consume outside of the topic. So, Keith, what's a recommendation? Uh, so I actually want to recommend Into the Spider-Verse, another Sony Spider-Man movie, which I feel like yes. does the story better, funny enough. It does. Spider-Verse is so good. It is. It is the best Spider-Man movie. 100%. It is. Yeah. Yeah, it Just definitely does uh, the Spider-Verse a lot better. And I kind The one thing about it is it has to do a Spider-Verse movie and a Spider-Man origin movie at the same time. Uh, so I'm looking forward to the follow-up to it, where it gets to do the Spider-Verse movie with a Spider-Man who's already pre-established. Yeah, across the Spider-Verse, yeah. which got announced. Yeah, Across the Spider-Verse, that's what it was called. Uh, definitely looking forward to that one. Uh, for my recommendation, just so we can give Thomas as much time to think as possible, uh, I am recommending the Hawkeye series. I know we already kind of talked about it a little bit briefly. I don't want to get into spoilers for it, but it's a very solid Marvel series that just finished airing, and I highly recommend anyone seeing it who can get the chance to. Okay. And for myself, so not a show, surprise, surprise, but for the Marvel fans who are craving more or just want more um, uh, to experience more uh, of this universe and see where they're getting all the inspiration from, where the series might go next, we have the Marvel Unlimited subscription. Uh, so this is for your phone. I've had it for years now. It's fantastic. It's just every week it updates with like, hey, here are the, the new comics. So I've just read countless comics and series that 
I didn't think I would love, but uh, there you go. You know, some my absolute favorites now. Um, it's like, well, they have deals on all the time, but I think it was like 70 bucks for the year. And then that gives you access, unlimited access to every comic ever made. And because Disney owns them, that's also all the Star Wars comics and a whole bunch of other uh, tie-in properties now, including Warhammer 40K. <laughs> so you can read Warhammer 40K comics now, if you so choose. Uh, yeah, in the past, I tend to, uh, like, I've used the app as well, and I tend to pick it up if I want to binge through a bunch of stuff. I The last time I got it, I got it to read through the whole original run of X-Men. Oh. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, uh, what's going on with Instagram, Keith? Anyone correctly guessed this episode or have any answers to previous questions? Of course. So we'll start off first with our question from the last one, which was, what was your favorite ghost in uh, any Ghostbusters franchise? Now, any Ghostbusters franchise, so we're including the cartoon, right? That's correct. Oh, yeah, that's true. We have someone who wasn't a part of that podcast in the moment. So, Thomas, do you also want to answer this question right here and now on the spot? Well... Without getting the the full context of it, and without seeing the latest Ghostbusters movie, you know, shame I know. Um, but I will say Slimer specifically from the cartoon. Yeah, from animated. Yeah, it was definitely better yeah. than the Slimer in the movie. Oh yeah, yeah. that the was Slimer uh, in the movie is weird. That was on my list of top three. So congrats on something, I guess. Uh, mine was the ghost driving the taxi cab. My absolute top one was the. Uh, Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, even though I guess he's not technically a ghost, he's within the realm of supernatural being. Uh, so for this one, we did have two responses. So the first one we got was from uh, Hana J underscore 13, who said Mothman. And I think this one technically counts because I do recall the animated one having a Mothman appearance. Yeah, they they fought like everybody, like the Sandman and uh, a whole bunch of like urban legends in that one. Uh, we I'm also sure had, they did. We also had another response from Tachi underscore Camargo, and uh, hers was uh, yeah, the mini marshmallows from the recent movie. You know what? That's close enough to my answer. I'm giving her full points. <laughs> I know we don't give out points, but I'm declaring right now Tachi gets full marks for that answer. Uh, and as for if anyone correctly guessed this episode, uh, no one has correctly guessed it as of now. But if someone does manage to do it before the episode goes live, we will absolutely call you out on our next podcast. Yeah, it's still live for 20 hours as of this right, recording. Uh, question for this podcast, uh, unless you guys have a better one, and feel free to cut me off if you do. I'm going to go with one that we already answered ourselves, but for the audience. Was this the best Spider-Man movie? And if not, what was in your mind? Quite the flame war coming. Oh yeah, I want people to <laughs> fight yeah, like overall, uh, as I said before, like definitely Into the Spider-Verse is probably like the best Spider-Man movie. If I had to pick a live action one, though, uh, I do think Far From Home is probably the best one. Yeah. Alrighty then. Live action. Uh, I might go OG Spider-Man 2. Uh, well, uh, there, there was a lot of debate for like the original Sam Raimi Spider-Man 2 being like the greatest comic book movie of all time. Yeah. Uh, as long as you don't go with the original Spider-Man 3, I don't have a problem with you. Uh, all right, then. Uh, I just want to thank everyone for listening to today's episode. 
Remember that you can find us on all major podcasting platforms. You can also find our uploads on YouTube. We don't upload any video. We just upload the audio as well as some fun artwork. Uh, And make sure you reach out to us on Instagram, as we kind of discussed a little bit earlier. We pose our questions there. We also allow room for people to guess what our topic's going to be about. So make sure you reach out to us there if you want to interact with us. And remember that you can always contact us by emailing us at whatismypodcastabout at gmail.com. That's whatismypodcastabout at gmail.com. All those words are spelt the way they normally are. If you have a question you want us to answer, or if you just know what our podcast should be about, reach out to us via email. Uh, so with all of those plugs, is there anything you'd like to plug, Thomas? Well, tis the season. Uh, I have nothing going on in, in my life. Uh, however, I'd just like to wish everyone a happy holidays and consider Feed Nova Scotia or your local food bank. So. Yeah, consider giving to those who don't have as much in this time of year. Well, and wait, to make us look like a piece of uh, shit uh, for not doing something like that. An abnormally wholesome approach for anyone on our podcast to take and really makes the three normal <laughs> hosts look like assholes. Congratulations. Well, it has, right, it so, has yeah. been a pleasure having you here, uh, Thomas. Maybe uh, the listeners will hear you again at some point. We'll see if you get through the uh, Peter survival method that happens afterwards. Yeah. Oh, is that what that whip's for? Don't worry about it. No, the whip, the whip's for fun. All right. So with that out of the way, uh, make sure you all tune back in in a fortnight for our next episode. Keith, what's that about? Uh, so I don't want to get too much into it because I don't want to attract the attention of the big guy. But we're going to learn about someone's life as a weapon. Can I go now? <laughs> sure. No. <laughs> you still have to stay for a five-minute conversation. <laughs>